Well, in terms of weather, this past week has been a very busy one. Now, I'm not just talking about what has happened, but I don't know about your phone either, but mine was certainly going crazy over the course of this week. We had winter weather advisories, we had cold wind chill warnings, we had even special weather statements, and even this morning that there was still yet another one that was waiting. And all of these notifications, they're all centered around weather, and it's not just exclusive to the winter season either. If we think about during the spring and summer months, how often do we see thunderstorm warnings or even tornado watches and all of those things? And and all of these are designed around the weather, that all of these are notifications specifically for that point, but there's something deeper underneath is, than that's the intention for each of these, that they are to get us to change something. Because if you think about it, a wind chill warning, that's telling us that we need to change the way that we are dressed, to bundle up more. A winter weather advisory to change the way that we travel. And sometimes those advisories or those watches or warnings, they're simply telling us that we need to change where we are to come inside to a safer place. And as often as those might be changes that we are beckoned for, that we are encouraged to do, we often have changes that happen throughout life, that we have changes in occupation, we have changes in our daily schedule or routine. We have a lot of change, and that seems to be the only constant. Why would faith then be any different? Because if we look at the readings in the gospel for this week, they remind us of the reality of faith, that it is not something that is meant to be stagnant, but rather something that changes us and changes us for the better. But what exactly does that look like? In the first reading, we hear from the prophet Jonah, and we hear about the way that he is prophesying to the Ninevites. In when, since the time we were little, likely most of us have heard the entire story, how there was that man Jonah that he was sent reluctantly to the town of Nineveh, and along the way he kind of got lost and decided he didn't want to do what he was supposed to do. And so eventually he was consumed by a fish, lived there for three days, was spewed back out, and then decided he was going to do what he was supposed to do. And he goes and preaches to the town of Nineveh and they repent and because of that he's angered. But today we hear a very short synopsis of what that entire story entails. So we hear about the Lord, how he sends the, him to the, the prophet Jonah, to the people of Nineveh, to that great city, and how he goes through and he preaches this simple message, 40 days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. And think about this. These are not people that are very familiar with Jonah. And these are, in fact, foreigners. These are not a part of God's people. That these are a people that would have an excuse if they did not believe Jonah. But what happens? They hear him proclaiming this message, and within a time of him arriving, and even before the day is concluded, even before he makes it a third of the way through the city, he, all the entire city is on sackcloth and ashes, that they are repenting rapidly because they do not want that destruction. They saw the Lord's invitation to change, and they took it. And that, in fact, is a powerful statement that even these foreigners, these ones that honestly would have no blame if they did not know the Lord, they hear this message, they hear about a foreign God, and because of what that God is going to do to them, all of a sudden they convert, they change their hearts, they're made new. And we hear that responsorial psalm, and it's very beautifully synthesized in that reading. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Because, in fact, the Ninevites, even though they didn't know much about God at that time, all of a sudden their hearts are converted, they're changed, they hear what the Lord is saying, and all of a sudden they form a new way of life. The old wasn't good enough any longer. 
We move on to St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Last week we were talking about how the body is made holy, how living out a life of faith encourages us to live life differently in view of the dignity of the human body. And even that is of consequence. But now we hear about how, how Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and reminding them that time is running out. Because he needs them to be very aware that that time is precious, it's running short. And in fact, they need to be aware of this because the world at large struggles with this concept. That they simply do whatever they want. They simply live in kind of a lazy atmosphere and don't really bother themselves about the things of the Lord. They do them when they get time. But St. Paul's quick to tell them, time is running out. Therefore, any of those who have wives should act as not having them. Anyone who's mourning should not be mourning. Anyone who's rejoicing should not be rejoicing. Anyone who buys something should not act as if he's owning. Because the world and its ways are rapidly passing away. And think about that. It seems like a lot of paradoxes that are very strange to our ears, but the reality is that when he's speaking to this, he's telling them that change is necessary. Change is important. That in fact, there are many times whenever someone rejoices in something they shouldn't rejoice in, say the downfall of a neighbor. There's some times that someone mourns in something that they should not be mourning over, whether it's a loss of some bigger and important or expensive object, whenever the Lord removed it from their midst because it was blocking their path to salvation. Or maybe there's just simply those different things that are happening that are simply of the world, and yet St. Paul is there reminding them, you're not of the world. Faith makes you set apart. It makes you different, and therefore you need to change your life. You need to do whatever it is. These polar opposites, you need to flip to the opposite side. You need to change your heart, your life, and your soul so that indeed you follow the Lord more closely because time is indeed running out. Then we move on to the gospel and we hear about Jesus. Oh, John the Baptist has been arrested. He's been put in prison and therefore is greatly hampered in his ability to proclaim that message of repentance and conversion and that baptism that he was giving, that he is no longer able to fulfill this task. And what does Jesus do? Well, we might think that Jesus as the nice guy might just simply go and tell the good news. But there's more, because in fact, he takes that very same message that John the Baptist is preaching, that same repentance, that time of fulfillment, and in fact, that belief in the gospel, and he preaches the same exact thing. Then he goes out and he carries on that work of proclaiming that message. So John the Baptist is not an invalid point, but in fact, the Lord fulfills his very message and his mission. And then we continue on, and we see that Jesus finds himself walking by the Sea of Galilee on the shore. And as such, he goes and he finds these fishermen that are there that are mending their nets. And he says to the first set, come follow me. And what happens? Immediately they leave their nets and they follow him. And even these others that they are with their father and they're with their hired hands, even an even bigger operation than the last. And Jesus says the same thing, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they leave behind everything else and they follow him. Think about how dramatic that is, because this is the way of life they've known. This is what they've known since they were a child, that they knew that this was going to be their heritage, that they were going to receive this very same occupation, that they were going to busy themselves through their entire life doing the same exact thing. Jesus comes and changes it all in just a split second. And that's powerful because they left the place of comfort. They left that thing that they were very familiar with, their occupation that they'd done day and night for years and years. They left that in the back. They left the nest to the side and they simply followed after the Lord. 
How great a trust is that? That they were able to change their entire life just off that simple invitation. And they lived it out. And they might not have known exactly where they were going or what they were doing, but they changed their life nonetheless because they saw the Lord. They saw where he was calling, and they wanted a part of that. That they knew that the Lord was working for their good. And therefore, they followed that teacher. They followed the Lord. They followed Jesus Christ that day and left everything else behind. They changed everything just because of that one invitation. But here's a question. Are we so convinced that if the Lord came to us today, that if he called us by name and told us to change our entire life, to change our occupation, the place where we live, or what we're doing, and asked us to change all those things, would we have the ability to do it? Would we trust the Lord enough to change every single aspect of our life, to leave everything behind, friends and family members, would we trust in the Lord that much that we would be able to follow him and leave nothing behind, or to leave everything behind and to leave nothing to chance? Because the reality is that as we look at our life of faith, there is a fundamental thing that undergirds all of these readings, and that is that faith is not stagnant. It does not call us to remain the same day after day after day, but our faith, in fact, calls us to change, to have hearts of conversion, to have hearts that are made new each and every day, that continue to ask the question, what more does the Lord want from me? And then we do that very thing. But oftentimes we convince ourselves that that's not the case. That maybe we're doing the bare minimum, we're kind of going about, we're going to daily, we're going to Sunday Mass, we're kind of checking that off the box, and then we just simply live life as we want. But is that what the Lord wants from you? And is that what the Lord wants from me? Because oftentimes we get ourselves convinced. We have our faith figured out. We have what God wants from us. We have it in mind, and we've got it every single part of that and every single detail of our faith life completely done away with, squared away, and we're done. But if we find ourselves in that place, it's a very deadly place. Because if we find ourselves saying, I'm in a place of security, I've got enough going on, I'm better than the average, we're in a place of danger and utter ruin. Because our faith is not calling us to remain where we are. Our faith is calling us in deeper. Our faith is calling us to change our lives. It's calling us to continue to surrender everything to the Lord to follow Him. But are we so convinced? Are we willing to follow Him? And then sometimes we get into another excuse that we think to ourselves like, well, I'm really busy right now that I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got all these things going on, all these different obligations. I'll get to it when I'm retired, or maybe I'll get to it later. Maybe I'll get to it down the road, just whenever it finally fits into my schedule. But what if it never does? Because if we convince ourselves now, what's to prevent us from convincing ourselves we're doing enough later? Because the reality is that Jesus does not call us to live our faith when it's convenient, when we get to it, whenever the time allows. He calls us to live it right now. Because what is the constant message through all of these readings? That Jonah's there and he's telling the Ninevites, 40 days more and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Or St. Paul's saying to the Corinthians that time is running out. Or Jesus says in the gospel, this is the time of fulfillment. Do we believe that? Do we understand what this is saying? That we can't just wait till tomorrow to do these changes. We can't just wait until we get to it to make these conversions within our hearts and our souls. But if we understand what the Lord is saying, he's saying, follow me right here and right now. Leave nothing clinging to your heart and to your soul, but rather seek after the Lord. Trust him fully. 
Because oftentimes in our day and age, it's so easy to just simply trust ourselves, that we only trust number one, that we trust our perspective, what we've got figured out, what we know, what we're familiar with, what we're comfortable with, and therefore we won't move. What if the Lord's calling us to more? What if the Lord is calling us to greater fulfillment? What if he's great at calling us to greater happiness and we're the ones that are preventing it? Because the Lord often is, but we are the ones that are clinging so tightly to everything that we're familiar with, and we don't want to venture out into the unknown where the Lord calls us. But we need to trust because that's a matter of faith. Our faith calls us to change and to be converted and to go deeper. And then we move on to the two types of change, and we know this very well because of Catholic theology, because we know that we need to do these changes in two particular ways. The first is the negative, that we need to change those things about ourselves that are not contributing to the Lord our God or are holding us back in our relationship, that we need to continue to renounce those things and put them to the side. Because if we think about it, oftentimes our sinfulness, our vices, our weakness, our failures, that is what's holding us back and that is what God is calling us to change about ourselves and so often that is where our work is but are we willing to change those things because sometimes we get it in our minds that whenever father's speaking about sins or going to reconciliation or whatever that's for the other people around me that's not me he's talking to other people if that's the case that's not who I'm talking to I'm talking to you because, in fact, whenever the reality sets in, we all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's mercy. We all need the sacrament of reconciliation. That we often convince ourselves that our sins are so minor that we don't need that sacrament because we're simply like, well, I'm not that bad, so I don't need it. But what if we are hindering God's grace? Because that's what lies on the other side of that door, the confessional. That, in fact, if we go, then we receive from the fullness of that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness. That's what our heart longs for. It's what it desires. That there is no sin too small to receive that forgiveness. So oftentimes we convince ourselves, I'm not doing anything that bad. Therefore, I don't need God's mercy. Or maybe we're so blind because we numb ourselves to what we're doing, that we realize that there are things maybe in our past or maybe failures or things that we struggle with habitually that we feel like we're never going to get past. Therefore, we just kind of block it out and numb it because we think it's far too great for God's mercy. But that is exactly where God wants to bestow his mercy. Because, in fact, we can't just numb ourselves out to the pain and tell ourselves it's all okay when it's not. Because the Lord wants us to receive that forgiveness and that reconciliation. That when he calls on us to repent and believe in the gospel, he doesn't just say repent of the small stuff or the intermediate stuff. He says repent of everything. Change your entire heart. Change your soul. Be persistent that even those sins that cling to you tightly, let those go. Surrender them at the foot of the cross. Go to the sacrament of reconciliation. Why don't we do that? And if you're wondering in your mind, am I going to the sacrament of reconciliation enough? Here's a litmus test. If someone were to ask you to repeat the act of contrition, would you be able to do that from memory? Now, certainly I know that some people that might be more of a struggle than others, and some people, maybe they can, or maybe they can't. But that is a good test for us to consider. If I were asked to say the sacrament or the act of contrition, would I be familiar with it enough? Do I use it enough that I would be able to recite it from memory? If not, maybe it's time to go to reconciliation yet again. And even if we do, we need to continue to avail ourselves of God's mercy. 
And then the other side of things, because we know that faith is not just lived in removing the negative, but it's also in continuing to seek the positive. The ways that the Lord is calling us to be like him, to be an example, to be a model, to continue to seek after living our, our Lord's life in charity. So many times that's calling us to greater prayer. Are we just praying at mealtimes? Is the Lord calling us to maybe add one more intentional time of prayer throughout our day or even throughout the week? Or maybe the Lord's calling us to immerse ourselves more fully in sacred scripture. Reading from the sacred scriptures, if not on a daily basis, maybe one to two times a week. Something that we can start with and start build on. Or maybe he's calling us to some sort of spiritual reading that we just simply haven't taken the time to develop our faith on our own. We just kind of left it to Sunday Mass and that's it. But maybe the Lord's calling us to immerse ourselves and to work on focusing on our faith on, in our own individual way. Because the Lord is calling each and every one of us in this church, no exceptions, to make these changes, to continue to renew our hearts and our souls, and to continue to seek Him in new and inviting ways. That He's calling us to renew our hearts and our souls in ways that maybe we haven't before. But are we open to those things? Or maybe sometimes he's calling us to greater generosity with our brothers and sisters. If not with this church, then the church at large, or maybe our community. Whatever it might be, that the Lord is calling us to change. Because faith is not stagnant. Faith is not meant to stay in one place. The Ninevites could have stayed in one place, but they reacted. They heard the Lord's call, and they converted. Or even St. Paul and the Corinthians, he doesn't let them just stay where they are in that comfortable place. They've heard the good news, but he tells them there's more. You're called to live as a people of faith. You're called to live differently. And even Jesus himself, even something that would seem trivial, that he called them not just to be fishers, but he called them to be fishers of men. He changed their entire life and changed it for the better. And so, my brothers and sisters, the simple thing is, we are often invited to change our lives. Oftentimes, it is in regard to the weather, whether we're covering, whether we're bundling up, whether we're simply reducing our travel, or sometimes we're even just going inside because it's not safe to be out. That we change ourselves so readily for the weather, why can't we change ourselves for our God? Our heart of God is calling each and every one of us to change our hearts, to renew our souls, and to pursue Him in new ways that are individual to each and every one of us. The question is, when God changes and calls us to change, are we trusting enough and are we willing to make that change?